You'll never know Other people, places, things that you'll see Places and Things, a podcast about Kansas City. Today's guest is the operations manager of Hot 103 Gems, the oldest Black-owned radio station on the planet. Mr. Myron Fears, also known as Myron D. He's worked 31 years at this radio station behind the microphone, and now he's in the executive office orchestrating everything you hear on the radio. One thing's for sure, he's got a heart for Kansas City, a heart for his family and black history this episode's a good one the first time i met you was in wichita kansas you got out of a vehicle with the man that gave me my start in radio Mr. Andre, andre carson. carson one of the best people you will ever work for in your life that's right and you are the person who taught me how to do the program selector yeah and i never thanked you for that because a couple of years later, I got an opportunity to program a radio station because I knew how to do Selector, and you were the one who taught me that. Great memory. Look at God. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a big personality, Myron. Did you always know you wanted to be in radio? Nope. Commercial art was my passion when I was in high school. I used to design, and uh, the music has always been my passion. Love music. Ever since uh, growing up at the house that was a musically inclined house because you heard everything. Daddy liked country music. Mama, when she was cleaning house, she would play jazz. KPRT AM 1590 was playing traditional jazz. Be hearing Lonnie Liston Smith and you would be listening to uh, Cannonball Adderley and you would be listening to Miles Davis and you, you know, I'll be sitting on the front porch and looking up at the sky. But time, bam. And so, you know, I just love just arts, you know, being creative. <laughs> KCK native. Boogie down, KCK. Take us back to being a young man in KCK. When you think of your childhood, give me three words that would describe your childhood. Love, number one. Uh, loving family, hard work, because, man, you, you couldn't live in Eddie and Margaret's house without working. And just um, love sports. Black history was uh, prominent in our house. Uh, that was another thing. You said three, so I gave you four. Growing up, um, we were the third black family in the neighborhood. We got burned out of our house. And, uh, you know, uh, walking outside, you, you look up the street, Craig Oldfield would be calling you, nigger, 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 when you walk out parents when they uh moved into that house in 1969 they had to look at the house at night we moved into a predominantly white neighborhood and by 1973 that neighborhood was predominantly black myron how do you resolve being called a nigga and being burned out of your home with being a Christian man and knowing that, you know, God would want us to be as one. How do you make that make sense in your head, what you went through as a young person and then being able to work with people of other colors and 
worship with them and you know what the thing is say is this uh not all folks are bad and that one thing that that's one thing that my parents taught us that not all white folks are bad and you know for a long time you know there was there's some resentment but my parents never taught us to hate people but also they taught us that you are somebody. My mother, she was less like in life. There's no handouts. I hate that there's another side of life that we get to all deal with if we're African-American is that a lot of times being black is not good enough and you get to do things 10 times better and you get to work harder. And hopefully that people will see you for the fruits of what you do. But also she taught you, you are a man because we, we grew up in the household of men. There was five boys and my mother and my father. They taught us to be independent, independent thinkers. Love yourself, number one. Uh, so, you know, I treasure that. You know, my mom, you know, Black History Month, our house turned uh, red, green, and black. She wasn't a militant person, but she believed in um, that, you know, you have to love who you are. When I was growing up, I didn't try to read books that didn't look like me. I read about Hank Aaron. That was my idol. You know, I read about Muhammad Ali and I read about Malcolm X. And you getting you get your brother Lewis coming home. He's militant as hell. And I remember the night that Lewis ripped my George Washington book, library book, in half. First cat ever said, hey, this is their history. He said, and this is his story. But we got our own history. That was my household. Man, you should have saw Fifth Street back in the day, man. We had black taxi companies, black grocery stores. Of course, you know, even at that time when I was uh, younger, you had Dr. Alexander, you had uh, Thatcher's Funeral Home, Douglas State Bank was, you know, still live and kicking. It was the first black-owned uh, bank west of the uh, Mississippi River created by Don Sowen. You had uh, the black pharmacy was right next door to Dr. Alexander. You just had black businesses all up and down. But you could see the plight at that time period. There were some former black businesses that were not there. So you start questioning stuff. This is how curious I was as a kid because I'm like, man, what happened? Okay, and then you get by the sixth grade, you see the like a uh, D.A. Young's Printing Company, you know, and that's that's boarded up, and then Seventh Street chain. And you get to ninth grade, you see it has moved up to probably about past Tenth Street, and then when you graduate from high school, it's moved up to Eighteenth Street. You go particular years in college, and you see it's moved up to Twenty Ninth Street. And then you go another three or four or five years, it's past Thirty Eighth Street. And then you go another nine to ten years, Indian Springs is gone. You know, so you 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 remember that conversation in terms of that question of why and you see it in your life and uh you know and that's how i've always thought you know i always thought things from a you know looking back i always look at things from a historical point of view is there any coincidence that you would put 31 years into the oldest black owned radio station in the country especially with everything that we've talked about you know what say it was not even in the plan it is a coincidence you know because i, I feel that uh, we're working for a, a company that's it's a legacy company um, and you have to look at it from this perspective. I asked my wife one day, I said, Melissa, can we name the civil rights legacy businesses of Kansas City? That's a deep ass question. Businesses that were 
around and especially during the civil rights movement and are they still functioning and as you can start naming a handful maybe gates some gates, funeral homes funeral homes uh douglas bank is not part of the original founders mm-hmm. kansas city call and then you look at the carter broadcast group that has been around since 1950 and one of the great things is that michael carter has preserved this legacy that was started by his grandparents with mike What's making you get emotional now? You see how a person is still, he honors Skip and Mildred. That's deep. This dude could have cashed out, especially with the uh, Telecommunications Act. You know this for a fact, Shay, like a lot of the other owners did, but he didn't. And he could have he bankrolled $109 million straight up. They wrote that check quick. I just don't think the people of Kansas City understand the power of this radio station. And you joke about it all the time. Say you, you will say, man, Myron, I've worked in Dallas. I've worked in Baltimore. I've worked in Atlanta. I've worked in Dallas. I've worked in Charlotte. But I ain't never seen the most common people of the city that can walk into the radio station and they got something going on that's going to benefit the community that they can get on the air. That's true. No other radio station No other radio station. You can talk all the shit you want about this radio station. Because we know people talk shit about our radio (laughs) station. And we can't worry about that because you're going to have people, either you're going to love us or hate us. Can you name any other platform that's giving you that opportunity? No. You mentioned earlier how important music has been to your life from childhood on up. Did you ever see yourself being the program director, the operations manager of a top five radio station? In this market, no. I never saw it. That's about this. For me, it, it, I, I would just say this music part, fourth grade, I wanted to be a jazz conductor. It, it didn't materialize. Got into DJ. Matter of fact, history-wise, uh, uh, there was a cat that went to Schlegel High School. Mike Dryden. His nickname was Dr. Rock. Dr. Rock! 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 <laughs> First cat that really just, man, this dude had a voice. That's why we high school. This, this is what he wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? And he used to make mixtapes. It wasn't mixing, but he's just his voice was on it, man. And you get a Dr. Rock tape, man. It was just like, man, heaven. You know what I'm saying? And, and so I used to draw, create flyers for the parties and stuff for them. Never did go, but I designed flyers. You know, when in high school, I was working straight out. You, you go to school, do your homework. You go, you got a job. You got to work. Just start getting more and more involved in it. And one day, because I was starting, you know, probably... 84 that's when i was really starting to get into music and thinking about djing and probably one thing that really changed me was hip-hop you had to understand where hip-hop was at you know the curtis blows and all that stuff but you know i always tell people the one record in hip-hop that just changed the game and i think that this group should get royalties or commissions from every hip-hop group in the world is run dmc Sucker MCs changed the whole game because it was just a basically a beatbox. Dun, dun, and a DJ. Two years ago, a friend of mine, man, I'm talking about and just how they rapped on that record and that beat, man. It was just, and they didn't have no instruments or anything. It was revolutionary. This is a true fact. They came to Kansas City Memorial Hall. Only 23 people came out to see this. What? 
You got to think it was Midwest. Next year, they were out at Worlds of Fun, and Worlds of Fun used to be on Fridays in the summertime, five after five, and they used to have concerts out there galore. Run DMC and Grandmaster Flash, man, had that part packed. Same cats that were here, the 23 people. For me, I think probably the the big night that changed me in terms of, uh, I was sharing this story on Saturday with uh, Vince and Irvin. I said, man, the thing that changed me, DJ was December the 8th, 1984. And my cousins, he called me. Randy said, hey, man, Mark, can you DJ the party? We'll, we'll provide the uh, sound system for you uh, because we don't know that if our DJ is going to make it back from uh, out of town. I said, yeah, sure. You know, and I didn't have a big record collection. And, and, you know, I laugh about it now because I wouldn't even last it two hours in that party. You know what I'm saying? Well, I would have made it through there somehow in some way. But the DJ that DJ that night, and it was DJ Tony Love. He was a student from KU. He was from Brooklyn, New York. And Shay, I'm going to tell you this right now. This was right after the Wichita State KU basketball game, Kemper Arena. Party was at the Mule Bock. It was five Beta Sigma. Tony Love's his Q-Dog, but he was DJing a party. And this brother, he got back from Brooklyn. And first record. And, and to this day, when I turn my sound system on, when I go out and DJ, First song is that I play is the same one he played. That wow. Night. And that's Mr. Magic by Grover Washington. Damn near eight-minute version. And when the song was winding down, he said, this is your main man, DJ Tony Love from the Brooklyn NYC. Tonight I come to rock you tonight, and, and we're going to party all night long. You can check me out Sundays on KJHK 88.8 on the mighty campus of KU. It's time for me to get off this mic and rock this party, and let's have a good time. Man, did this brother rock that party. Just killed it. And he wasn't a scratcher. He was a mixer. He was blending. He was blending sounds, and he just took you on this ride, and, and you're watching, and you're partying, and you're kicking it, and you're seeing people just stay on the floor, and they hollering and screaming and losing their mind. And I told my that was the first night I heard Set It Off by Straight. Set it off on the left, <laughs> y'all. Set it off on the And that wasn't really a big Midwest record. It wasn't. He broke uh, Roxanne, a UTFO that night. He just played all these joints that was just killing it. Yo, that is who I want to be like. If I'm going to DJ, I'm going to be just like this cat. I'm going to be that cat. I don't have to say one word. All I'm going to do, I'm going to rock you. So I went back into the lab, straight out. And I learned how to mix. One of the coldest DJs I ever heard in my life, and he's more in on the club music, is uh, Tony Humphrey. Tony Humphrey's um, did mixes on Kiss, the old Kiss, which is now what Hot ninety seven. It's BLS. Now. BLS, BLS, yeah. And man, Tony Humphrey's was more on the club music, so it was more of your house and all that, man. But you you listen based on how people blend and how they move records and stuff. So one thing I learned is how to make the perfect mix, meaning that when you get in the hook, when that 16 bars is over, you get into the next song. And I, I, I study DJs to this day. And, you know, one thing I got on Brian about, and Brian is one of the best DJs in the city, you know, and he learned from me, for real. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, I used to DJ, especially young the thing is, is that you always want to take people on a musical journey. You want to take people on a music high, you know, and you want them when you walk out that building, they said, man, you are the coldest DJ I've ever seen in my life. I forgot your question, but, you know, 
Uh, yeah, but no, you said, <laughs> did I ever visualize myself? That realization didn't come to uh, when I flunked out of college. I'm a self-made man, too. I paid my way through college. Turn 18, thank my parents. I said, from zero to 18, you did everything. You, you don't need to do that for me. If I'm going to be a man, I got to learn how to be, the, be a man on my own. So, you know, I don't want you guys to be going broke over me. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to pay my way. So, you know, I did it the uh, junior college way first. I worked a lot. Uh, my first year, I got scholarships from Kappa Alpha Psi. Got two $500 scholarships. Took care of the book. Stayed at home. Worked in at night. Summertime. Cut grass. DJ parties. Worked at the bowling alley. Worked at Sears. My whole life has just been work. And so, for me, when I uh, messed up at UMKC, that was an eye-opener. At the time, it looked like this is the end, but it was the beginning. And, you know, at first you're hurt because you flunked out. And this is something I tell people now. Don't go into something that you don't know about and you don't care about. My major, it wasn't commercial art. It wasn't communication. It was business. And that was a valuable lesson because I went in looking at, man, if I do business, I'm going to make money. Instead of looking at what is your true passion. And I remember vividly uh, when Carla Harris, me and Carla have been friends since third grade. She was our uh, valedictorian for the class of 84 at Schlegel High School. Carla called me up when she got from uh, got back from Drake University. Pierce, what's going on? Uh, nothing. What do you mean nothing? Man, nothing. What do you want? Well, don't You sound like you got an attitude. I don't want to be bothered. What's wrong? I don't want to talk. I've been knowing your ass from third grade, something wrong. At the time, Carla didn't drive because we lost a friend, uh, Sandy Johnson, uh, our senior year. We lost her to a car wreck. And Carla vowed that she'll never drive in memory of Sandy. She drives now. <laughs> she you gotta was, get around. <laughs> yeah, she moved out to California. She got to drive. I can't believe it. But, uh, you know, I told her my situation and she said, all right, we're going to go to this party. And this is downtown. This is when stuff was boarded up was the power and light and all that stuff went to this party and she said look it's christmas holiday what do you see she said no nah, for real fears what do you see because people who like me they call me fear fears what do you see people having a good time she said yeah they having a good time and guess what there's some people out here that flunked out of college and they don't give a damn so you gonna kick it we gonna kick it and she said i'm gonna tell you this right now you cannot judge your success based on someone else's success you get to find your own success and that was the magic word and, you know, and then she said, well, have you talked to Mr. and Mrs. Fears about it? No. She said, well, you need to talk to them. And and I said, well, I did it on my own money. And she said, I don't care. You live under their roof. And, you know, your parents, they got to know. Said, How in the heck are you going to live in their house? She didn't tell them. I said, I lied to them. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I got back, you know, and, you know, I had to sit down with my my parents. My, my parents, you know, they were they were not too happy, but they said, you know what, hey man, as long as you live, you know, we we respect that you honor us, number one. But we're always your best friend, and we can you can come to us and talk to us about anything. And that was a valuable lesson because you know you put your parents. For me, I can't speak for anybody else. There's God, and there's my parents. Myron, you've been around the 70s music scene, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now in this decade. What do you think is the difference from the artists of today versus those of yesterday? I think today we live in a microwave society and and um, 
there's there's arguments on this one right here because it seemed like it, it the shelf life isn't that long mm. okay now here's the piece every generation has their sound and every generation there's somebody in the lab that's creating a new sound and every generation and if we look at the history of music in in the united states and we look at popular music in the united states popular music started in the basement of african-american don't get it twisted i i looked at a series even with country music that was started by a black man messed me up we if we look at it from a deep perspective it's two type of musics that came to america music that came over from the mayflower and the music that came from the slave ships of africa and boy when it came from africa man it has created some of the greatest sounds ever heard on the planet in the history of mankind so you talking about country, you talking about jazz, you talking about blues, you talking about soul music, you talking about funk, you talking about rock and roll, you talking about house music, disco, techno, reggae. Damn it, did I hit all the genres? <laughs> Hip hop. Yes. And if if you have a chance, read what what got me into this mindset of of, of looking at things from that perspective. And Nelson George, who's a hell of a writer, he wrote a book. I think in the late 80s or early 90s called The Death of, of R&B. It's one of the deepest books I've read in my life, and it was just dealing with the history of what I just talked about, history of popular music in America. And he examined how it started from African-American shacks or basements of somebody's apartment or somebody's uh, house or somebody's back room in a, in a club or whatever, and, and then it just developed. And there's that one question and there's that one piece that happened and it happened in each genre of music. You can't replicate something from the originator mm. and expect it to survive by the originators. It becomes uh, it, the essence and the flavor and the taste of it changes, good or bad. You see what I'm saying? But to answer your question, I think that I think that the 90s is probably the last great period of black music in America. I think the 80s was the melting pot of different sounds. I think 70s was the great experimentation period. Uh, I think every, each each decade adds a little something to it. You know what I'm saying? So you, you, you look at it and, you know, I look at it now, you know, um, you're just using the technology to create sound. Um, I think that one of the biggest, probably the, one of the biggest things that, probably was bad for black kids who got a musical mind is that a lot of our schools are not properly uh, supplied with uh, programs of the arts and music and where kids can learn how to play instruments. I still think that you need to learn an instrument. You can see that people, you know, kids are musically inclined. I see it in my son and it's just a travesty, you know, and you got a lot of uh, kids out here who got a lot of talent. How do you, you know, be 53 years old and survive and understand, you know, I was almost one of those cats, you know, that was like, yo, man, what's this shit? You know, that's bullshit. You know? But man, Shay, I had to learn one day that's right. that things change. And if you, especially in our industry, if you they don't do. adapt, you out, you out <laughs> straight up. You can, you know, and there's a study. I saw something. I saw this article, that, you know, our consultant sent the other day, you know, and you can you can ask everybody from thirteen years up up until you know I mean it could be a person my age, 
my father's age, who's 87 years old. When did they start loving music? You know, just really talk about it because it's universal. Usually around 13 mm-hmm. years old and between 13 to 25 to 13 to 30, you know, that's when you're just really deep into what's out now. And then there's a thing called life and you got bills and you got family, you got, you got other commitments that you are not really seriously involved in the music like you were when you were younger because you got other things on your mind. But those years of between 13, especially 13 to 25, those are the the sounds that carries with you for the rest of your life. And you'd be like, yo, that's that's what music is. But it happens for every generation. See, article in 2018, it says, first time in history between radio and records, people between the ages of 18 to 24 did not discover their music first from radio. And you got to say, well, where the hell are they discovering their music from? If I'm going to be successful, I can't be going by the old model of doing things. I got to get in the trenches of where they are at. See, the light bulb go off. An arrogant cat will be, oh, man, I've been doing radio this many years, and this is what works. No, it doesn't. So you got to be smart. Music is universal. Uh, music is generational, and music changes. You've been in the Kansas City market your entire career. You've been through some battles as an on-air personality, as a DJ, and as a programmer. You know, I had heard about some some dust-ups that you've had with local artists and even artists who are started here in Kansas City but have national followings. How do you think you've made it through those dust-ups? What's your definition of dust-ups? You're mentioned in oh, a rap record. Oh, 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 you're talking about, oh, you know what? That that was a misunderstanding. That's about one of the things with uh, Tech. I got mad appreciation for him. And, uh, you know, when that happened, it was brought to me by my friend Cheryl. And she's like, Mark, I can't believe that, you know, Tech put this lyric. I was like, what? I'm going to toss that Buster Myron D in the Red Sea. (laughs) I'm like, what? (laughs) Now, one thing I did, I called him. I didn't put no news out. I didn't say anything. I didn't go, you know, blasting him. It threw me back. And, you know, I said, hey, man, Tech, what the, what's up, man? What got it in your skin? Man, you know, you be DJ the party, man. You know, you don't never say my name. Man, all the other DJs say, what's up, Tech? I don't even say my name. I said, man, I ain't tripping on that. I just want to know why. I said, man, you know what? I forgive you, dog. So now you make money on my name. You better pay me. You know, and, and we laugh. And we squashed. When I think about myself, I think one of my superpowers is being able to assess what's going on. I call it situational awareness. What do you think your superpower is? I don't know. You're a thinking man. Yes, you do. You've I, thought no, about I, no, yourself no, no, a lot. No. You take meticulous notes about things that are going on. I, I will say this. No, I'll tell you this. I got a very analytical mind. That part right there, that's the one thing I think I've developed and probably worked on and massage more than anything else is that I can analyze stuff and dissect it down. And, you know, my whole thing is to simplify everything, the dance. I'm very proud to be a part of this radio station. And this podcast exists because you all invested in Brian and us and sent us to Atlanta. And this was one of the things that they said in 
that session that we were in that there is a need for more local podcasting, people to highlight what's going on in those cities that you're a part of. So thank you for allowing us to go to Atlanta so that I could hear that information. And that's why people, places, and things exist. Well, I tell you what, hopefully we got it back in the budget for next year. <laughs> I know, you right? Because we ain't go last you know year. What, no, you know what, Shay? For real. <laughs> It was in the budget for this year, and I forgot. Oh, Lord. So I, I used that budget to go to Atlanta myself. <laughs> I like Hey, well, you know what? Hey. Thank you, Myron. Thank you, Shay Wanda. <laughs> oh, God. Other people, places, they.